You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Faithful God, thank you for the promise of a new beginning. Teach us to not fear this world, but walk by faith as foreigners in a land of promise, always trusting in Jesus' name. Amen. How did you spend your New Year's Eve? How did you spend your New Year's Eve? Well, I'll tell you how I spent mine. I was scrolling through Instagram uh, and seeing everyone's New Year's posts. Now, normally, right, you'd expect people to say something like, bring on 2021. And there were a fair few of those. But I noticed the other night, a lot of people were posting, goodbye 2020. Goodbye 2020. And we can understand, right? Most of us are just as excited about leaving last year behind as embracing the year to come. It's been a pretty rough year. You've been in BC, you've been studying for your exams in isolation. If you've been at work, maybe you've had your hours or your, or your pay cut. If you've had a relationship, sometimes it may not have made it or survived the year, or there's been a lot of strain put in your friendships throughout last year. Now, I think uh, Goodbye 2020 is a pretty good summary. In fact, there is an even better one that was posted uh, by Shin. It's just three words, we made it. We made it. 2020 was a slaughterhouse of a year, wasn't it? So many of us are looking to 2021 with a great promise and expectation. You know, you see people, they tell ourselves, this year, Adam, this year is going to be better. 2021 is going to be my new beginning. You know, I saw someone post, bring on the best year of our lives. Now, I'm not a downer, but one dear friend of mine would probably say something like, you don't know that. For all you know, the, the virus could mutate. Now, our trade war could escalate. Our economy could tank. Now, now don't get me wrong. I, I really hope that none of that happens. But here's my point, right? If you're going to make a promise, make sure you can keep it. Don't make a promise you can't keep. If you're going to promise a better 20, 2021, you better deliver on it. Because an empty promise is actually nothing more than vain optimism and wishful thinking. I know all of us know, don't we? We all want a new beginning. But the real question is this. How do we know we'll get it? Is there some ironclad promise of a better tomorrow? Is there anyone in this world who could possibly make that promise to you? In Genesis 4 to 11, over the last month, we asked the big question, what went wrong with our world? And the answer we saw was sin, wasn't it? Human rebellion against God. And we ended that series at the height of human rebellion. The Tower of Babylon. It was humanity sticking it to God. Saying, we don't need you. And, and you get to the end of Genesis 11, just last week. And it is pretty much like the end of 2020. Everyone is desperate for a new beginning. But the same question that haunts us haunts the people of Genesis. How do we know we'll get it? 
How do we know we'll get it? Is there an ironclad promise of a better tomorrow? Or is it nothing more than vain optimism and wishful thinking? You see, friends, we're kicking off our year by preaching through Genesis 12 to 25. And in these chapters, God guarantees, he guarantees the new beginning that all of us desperately need. God promises a new beginning for our whole world. Isn't that amazing? God promises a new beginning for our whole world. And it all starts with just one man, Abram. You see, God promises a new beginning to this one man, and through this one man, he then extends that promise to everyone in this room. So today, on the first Sunday of 2021, we begin by looking at God's promise of a new beginning. You know, my grandmother lived a good life. But in her final years, she suffered greatly. First, she lost movement in her arms. Then, she lost her ability to speak. And finally, she couldn't even feed herself. And can I tell you, watching my dad go through that, caring for his aging mother, it was a traumatic three years for our family. I was there when she took her final breath, but in many ways, it was as if for three long years, we watched her life ebb away. It's as if for three long years we saw her dying before our very eyes. And can I tell you, our whole family, now I, I don't know how you get through it if you're not a Christian, because our whole family wished that my grandmother could have a new life. We needed that hope of the gospel that one day she would walk, talk and, and live again. We needed God's promise of a new beginning. You see, friends, what was true of my grandmother is actually true of all mankind here in Genesis 11. You might have heard James uh, give that fantastic Bible reading of another list of names, and you might think, yes, again, Genesis, yes, another meaningless list of names. But no, friends, it's actually a picture of human life ebbing away. Uh, did you notice the lifespan of each person? You see, back in Genesis 5, people were living up to what? 800, 900 years old. But then in the very next chapter, God judges our sin. And he limits our life from 800 to a mere 120 years. And that's exactly what's happening in Genesis 11. We see our lifespan in free fall. Just like your health or HP in any game that you play, it rapidly diminishes when you're being attacked by someone. Well, our HP is rapidly dropping as we're being slayed by sin. Look, right? Adam's full health starts off 800 years in Genesis 5. Shem takes 300 damage. Where does he go? 500 years. Then our HP drops even more. Arpashad and Shelah, 403. Eber gets a slight bump to 430, but then we're back to 209 with Peleg. 207 with Ru. Uh, 200 uh, with Sirag. And then finally, right on target, Nahor at 119 years. You just see that bar go down and down and down. Friends, humanity is dying right before our eyes in this chapter. We are a cut flower that can survive in water, but for only so long. And in Genesis 11, the water is running dry. The flower that is humanity is withering. Sin is growing. Humanity is dying. Our life is running down. Our HP is running out. And soon it will be game over for mankind. 
And that's pretty much how the list ends in verses 27 to 30. You see, that the big story of humanity, it now zeroes in on one man, one man and his wife, Abram and Sarai. And it's tragic. Because this list ends with these lifeless words. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. Do you see what's going on? We had 800 years for Adam back in Genesis 5, and now what do we have? Lifelessness. Barrenness. It's as if we've officially reached the end of the line. The water has officially run dry. The cut flower is now dead. Sarai's barrenness represents the plight of mankind. You see, friends, sin is killing us. Unless, unless God steps in, all of us will be without life and without hope. You know, there's something tragically final about childlessness, isn't there? Modern technology, it allows IVF and surrogacy, but in the ancient Near East, if a woman was infertile, well, that's it. That's literally the end of your line. There is nothing you can do about it. No treatment, no cure, and no hope. And we're to look at Sarai's situation of hopelessness and see our own hopelessness in it. You see, friends, God created humanity. He created all of us to, to multiply, to fill this world with his life and love. But here is Sarai, unable to bring even one life into this world. This is the end of the road for her. And as we see her story, this is the end of the road for us. And surely we all know that feeling, don't we? That feeling of total and utter helplessness, hopelessness, desperation. We long for a fresh start, and yet it's a fresh start we just can't seem to get. If anyone needs a new beginning, oh, it's Sarai. But who can give her a new beginning? Who can bring life out of a lifeless womb? You see, for Sarai and for all mankind, a new beginning, it seems so beyond the pale. So far from reality, how in the world can I have a new beginning? Friends, it's into that situation of death and despair that God makes a promise. I hope that don't mind me saying it. This weekend, uh, just yesterday, Joseph and I visited Cedric and Holly up in Ballarat. It was a great trip, loved it dearly. If you want to see more, you can check out my Insta story. Just a fortnight, Cedric and Holly are going to tie the knot. I'm pretty excited about it. And on that day, they're going to make a promise to each other. And we all know, right, when they make that promise, it's going to be more than mere words. They're not just words that inform. No, they actually do something, don't they? It's crazy when you think about it. Words have power. Those promises that you guys are going to make is going to fundamentally alter the nature of your relationship forever. They're not meaningless words. They're powerful words. Well, into the depths of Sarai's despair, God makes a promise. And this promise, well, it's like his marriage vow to Abram and his children. You see, this promise will seal God's relationship with Israel forever. 
If you're a married couple, I always encourage you guys to revisit your vows each year. You know, if you're going to live each day to uh, uphold them, it pays to know them. Well, the Old Testament revisits this very promise time and time again. But first, God calls Abram to leave everything he owns, to leave absolutely everything and follow him. In chapter 12, verse 1, he calls him to leave behind the land which is his house and to leave behind the family which is his home. You know, in so many cultures, let's face it, some of you live it, there is no individual identity outside the family. I mean, let's be honest for a moment, right? That's why so many of us still live at home. It's not just a case of financial security or prolonged adolescence. No, you still live at home because our family gives us identity. And, and we just can't quite imagine ourselves outside a family unit, can we? And yet, that's actually exactly what God is calling Abram to leave. Leave the land which gives you security. Leave the family who defines your identity. Instead, trust me. Have faith in me. Follow me. Bet your life on me. Go to the land that I will show you. Now, if you're the uh, risk-averse type of person, you might wonder if you were Abram, why in the world would I want to do that? I've got a sweet gig at home right now, right? I don't need to cook. I don't need to clean my clothes. Everything is looked after for me. Why would I want to move out? Why would I want to leave my double-story three-bedroom tent and my BMW 7 Series camel, Abram asks. Why would I sacrifice my comfort, my safety, my security, all on the basis of just some promise? But, but do you realize, especially for you married here, that's exactly what happens in marriage? Think about it. A man or a woman promises to love their husband or wife as long as they both shall live. And what do they do? The other person leaves everything behind on the basis of that promise. In marriage, we leave the safety of our, of our parents' nests. We leave the security of everything we've ever known. When you think about it, why would you do that? Why would you leave everything behind? All because of a promise. All because of a vow. So why should Abram sacrifice everything? Why should he leave everything he's ever known? All because of a promise. And you see, this promise of God, it has three parts. Firstly, God promises to give Abram a new home. Go to the land that I will show you. See, Abram's a nomad. He wanders from land to land looking for a place of safety. And this is what God promises him. Abram, I'm going to give you a new home and a better land. You're always wandering around looking for the place of security. You know what? I'm going to give you the place of permanent security. It will be even better than the Garden of Eden, humanity's first home. Secondly, God promises to give Abram a new life. I will make you into a great nation. Do you remember? God created humanity to fill this world with his life and love. But Sarai cannot bring any life into this world at all. So God promises to do the impossible. He will bring life out of a lifeless womb. Sarai will give birth not just to one child, but the whole nation of Israel. A new home, a new life, and thirdly, God promises to give Abram a new love. 
I will bless you. I will make your name great. You see, friends, in the beginning, God created mankind to be in a blessed relationship with Him. But we sinned. We, we broke our marriage vows as such. Well, we destroyed our relationship with God. And yet, God promises to restore what we broke, to bless us once again. And through this one man, through Abram, through Israel, that blessing will spill out to every tribe. And one day, our whole world will once again be reconciled to God. The great divorce will be the great remarriage in one sense. You see, friends, can you see what God is promising? He's promising Abram a new home, a new life and a new love. He's promising a new beginning for our whole world. I don't know about you, but isn't that what all of us really want? After a rubbish year, or even individually, on a personal level for each one of you, you might go through heartache, you might go through heartbreak, you might go through grief, you might go through loss, and don't we all long for a fresh start and a new beginning? Gosh, for all the sin and death in Genesis 4 to 11. Finally, God is promising us a way out. I want a way out. There is a way to be good again. And nothing will stop the promises of God. Not a thing, not sin, not death, not even a lifeless womb can stop the blessing of life that God will give. There's a lot of new people at church over the last few weeks, which has been great, but it means I don't know a lot of you. And I don't know your situations or your stories or how you relate to God. But I'm willing to bet that some of you here actually feel really, really far from God. And actually more than anything else, you long for that fresh start. It could be the case that you walked away from God many years ago. Or it could be the case you've been here all along. But over the last year, you've been playing Christian on the outside. But you've never been further from God on the inside. And actually, more than anything else, you want to stop that imposter syndrome. You, you just want to come back. You want to come home. You want that new beginning. But the thought of God giving you a second chance just seems so impossible. You might think, Adam, I've just wandered too wide. I've fallen too far. How will God take me back after everything that I've done? How could he ever give me that fresh start after I've wrecked my life and walked away from him? But friends, if God can bring life out of a lifeless womb, then you bet he can give you a new beginning. It's beautiful. I loved how Leonard opened this morning, uh, this afternoon's service, because he pretty much ripped off my notes. Because the next line I write here is this. God's mercies are not new just every year, but every single morning. Friends, this day, this year, this very moment, God is promising you a new beginning. You know, God delights in giving us a clean slate. He promises to give us a new life, a new hope. And I want you to know that's not just an empty promise. That's not just vain optimism or wishful thinking. No, nothing, not our greatest pain nor our deepest sin can stop the promises of God. 
all the promises that God made to Abram of a new home, a new life, and a new love. No, He has personally come. God come down and He has fulfilled it in the person of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, the Apostle Paul writes this, For every one of God's promises is yes in Him. You see, friends, God doesn't make empty promises. God doesn't make empty promises. What God promises, God delivers. What He promised to Abram, He has fulfilled in Jesus. So if you're searching for a true home, for that one place of true and ultimate safety, turn to Jesus. If you long for a new life, and the person who is the one hope of humanity, turn to Jesus. And if you want a new love, and the one and only way that you can be reconciled to God and be right with Him for the first time, or right with Him once again, turn to Jesus. You see, God promises a new beginning for our whole world, and He honors that promise in Jesus. No matter how deep your pain, no matter how severe your sin, no matter how impossible your life might seem to be to change, I want you to know that nothing can stop the promises of God. If you want that new beginning, that fresh start with God, you can have it if only you would trust His promise. Let me ask, if someone made a promise to you, if someone you love looked you in the eyes and made a promise to you, what do you think the best response is? How should we respond to a promise? Hate to pick on them even more, I will do just twice more today. When Cedric stands up and he looks Holly in the eye and he makes that vow, what should she do? Well, she should trust him, shouldn't he? She should take him at his word. Just imagine, right? At that moment, Cedric finishes his vows, as long as we both shall live. And Holly says, you don't mean that. It's terrible. No, the best response to a promise is trust. And surely I've got to think right. That's got to be one of the greatest blessings of marriage. To be able to trust someone's promise to love you forever. But if you did, it means that no matter how badly you might stuff up, you can be confident. You can say, well, they're not going to walk out. They're not going to quit. They're not going to leave. I'm not saying that we should take advantage of that other person's promise. No, that would be wicked. No, but that promise has got to give you a lot of safety in your marriage. Surely with that promise, you can then take risks together. Make sacrifices together. Leave everything you've ever known for each other because that one promise, it seals your marriage. It guarantees your commitment to one another. God has promised to give Abram a new home, a new life and a new love. So what does Abram do? I love those words. So Abram went. No questions asked. He trusts God's promise. Just as God said, what does he do? He leaves his land and he leaves his father's house. He packs up his whole life. He walks away from everything he's ever known. And he trusts. God's promise. He walks by faith. 
gosh, he bets his whole life on that promise. His marriage, his comfort, his wealth and his future. He puts all of it on the line. Because God's promise of a new beginning, you bet it's worth it. And in verses 6 to 9, what does he do? He walks the land that God will give him. And everywhere he goes, he builds altars as reminders of God's great promise. Did you see, friends, Abram, he, he risked it all. But he knows that with God's promise, there's actually no risk at all. Do you get that? Abram, he, he risks everything. But he knows that actually God's promise means that there's no risk at all. You can't fail because of that vow. I love how Hebrews 11 describes Abraham's faith. Just listen. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise. Isn't that beautiful? A foreigner in the land of promise. A foreigner in the land of promise. You know, when I make decisions about my future, I like to have everything mapped out in front of me. On a Myers-Briggs type indicator, I'm a J, which is the long-term planner, by about 98%, right? My preaching calendar goes out till about 2030 right now, and that's not a joke, right? Like, I plan everything. And if I can't see it in front of me, I am not taking a step. Well, Abram has, must live by promise. That's all he's got. But that's all he needs. Let me ask, if you were Abram, and if you received that promise, would you go? Would you go? Would you leave it all? Would you walk away from everything you've ever known in order to receive that greater promise of a new beginning? Friends, if you're not a Christian, the one way you can receive God's promise, the one way you can get that new beginning is this. Do what Abram did. Live by faith. Trust that promise. Bet your whole life on Jesus. Leave everything you've ever known for the new and better beginning. And I promise you, you will not regret it. Jesus is the one and only person truly worth betting your life on. Fellow Christian, God is calling us to live like Abram, to live as foreigners in a land of promise. You know, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, we're described as exiles, pilgrims, strangers who live in this world, but we live for another world. Christians don't settle down. In the words of that great old hymn, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. It's wonderful, but it begs a question. Do you feel at home in this world? I hope you don't. You know, so many of us, right, we aspire to own a home. And not just any home, but the forever home. That's what we call the forever home. 
Because a home gives us safety, gives us security, doesn't it? A man's house is his castle. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But let me ask this question. What if you never owned a home? What if you never owned a home? Gosh, what if you rent for the rest of your life? Perish the thought. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't own a home. That's besides the point here. But I wonder, how did you feel when you heard the question? What was the instinctive gut reaction? What if you never own a home at all? A pang of loss? A sense of regret? A fear of missing out? Or did you feel contentment? Peace? Assurance? Because of the new home, the better land that God has promised you? You see, friends, to live by promise, to live by faith, in one sense means to never truly settle down, to always be on the move, to always be following the Lord wherever He would have you. It means to hold loosely to the houses and homes of this world, to kind of be a loose tooth in this world as such, to never be too comfortable in our own castles, to willingly sacrifice worldly treasures for the greater mission of a faithful God. You might look to 2021 and not know what to think about this year. Perfect. Abram had no idea. But it begs the question, doesn't it? How might we live by promise in 2021? How might we live by promise? What worldly treasures might you sacrifice out of a deeper trust in the greater promises of a faithful God? And I'll tell you what, if Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. You know, the best response to a promise is to trust it. Can I tell you, surely the worst response to a promise is to doubt it or question it. If you promise to love your husband as long as you both shall live, how hurtful must it be to hear him say, you don't love me? He's basically saying you're unfaithful to your promise. It's why most broken marriages start with a collapse in trust. I know some couples joke about this, but I couldn't be more serious. It's why, if you're married, when you're having an argument, it'll happen. Never, ever threaten divorce as a debating point. It's the worst thing you could do because it corrodes trust in your marriage. It starts to take away from the integrity of your promise. You know, Abram started so well by trusting God's promise, but now he ends so poorly by doubting that promise. I wonder how you felt during that Bible reading. It all starts with his personal safety, a threat to his personal safety. Notice verse 10, a famine strikes the land. Abram's physical safety is threatened. Because he thinks, you know, if I continue to live by promise, I'm going to starve to death. So instead of walking by promise, instead of following the Lord, what does he do? He changes course. He flees to Egypt, the worldly superpower of his day. But then he encounters another threat to his safety. His wife. Verse 11. Look. You know when any husband starts with the word look, it's just bad, right? Look. I know what a beautiful woman you are. It's just downhill from here. When the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife. They'll kill me, but let you live. 
So please, please, say you're my sister. So it will go well for me because of you. And my life will be spared on your account. What a man, Abram. What a man. Brothers, if there's a picture of godly manhood, no, really not. Abram fears the famine. And he fears the Pharaoh. So what does he do? He doubts God's promise and dogs on his wife. But the, only, but the problems just only get worse. Pharaoh ends up doing just that. He takes Sarai into his household. And suddenly, everyone hits the panic button. My gosh, if Pharaoh takes Sarai away, what will become of God's promises to Abram? How in the world will Sarai give birth to a great nation if she's taken away by Pharaoh? God's promise of a new home, a new life, and a new love, all of it is now under threat. Abram has not only doubted God's promise, no, he's now endangered God's plans. But isn't it wonderful? God cannot be outmaneuvered, and his plans cannot be thwarted. In verse 17, he curses Pharaoh's household, frees Abram's wife, and restores his own plan. You see, if you want to know the big idea of Genesis, it's this. Even through our faithlessness, God remains faithful. Even through our faithlessness, God remains faithful. At the end of this section, at the end of this part, we see two ways that we might respond to the promises of God. We see two ways to live as such. Faith or fear. Faith or fear. And in the end, Abram chooses fear. He fears that if he lives by promise, if he follows the Lord, well, he's going to suffer in this world. He fears that God won't be faithful to his promise, that God won't protect him, and that God will not provide for him. So what does he do? Just like Adam and Eve, he seizes control of his destiny, all because he fears the world. Does that sound familiar? If I live for Jesus, I just won't be successful in my career. If I live for Jesus, I won't be financially secure. If I live for Jesus, I won't be settled with my family and friends. If I live for Jesus, I might have to sacrifice something. So open up your gates, Egypt. I'm coming home. Friends, you know, as we enter 2021, even over the way that we've started this year shows us that we're going to have a lot of reasons to fear the world. We're going to have a lot of apparent reasons to doubt God's promise. Many of you right now are going through life transitions, entering university, starting a new job, getting married, moving out of home. And with all that change, it's so easy to feel insecure. And isn't it so tempting isn't it the way of the world to make decisions about where we live, what we buy, and what we invest in, all with this thought in mind? Let me minimize risk and maximize opportunity. Let me minimize risk and maximize opportunity. There is something to be said about being wise, but I suspect that's not it. Be very careful that we do not go the way of Egypt. God calls us to live by promise, not by prosperity. To live by faith, not by fear. To live by sacrifice, not by security. 
to live for his mission, not for our mansions. God has promised a new beginning for our whole world. And he has kept that promise through one man. And his name is Jesus. And the only way that we can receive that promise is if we continually trust the promise keeper. If we keep walking with him. If we keep living not as a permanent residence, but a pilgrim who lives for a greater world. Friends, if we keep walking with God, as a foreigner in a land of promise, we will live as God created us to live. So here's my challenge this year. Make it your ambition to not live by fear of this world, but instead to live by faith and to live by promise. Let me pray. Faithful God, thank you for the promise of a new beginning. Teach us to not fear this world to walk by faith as foreigners in a land of promise, always, ever trusting in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.